0: Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. The disciple Peter, when Jesus had come walking on the water, asked Jesus, Lord, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so he got out of the boat and he began to take a few steps and he he looked at the wind and the waves of the storm around him. And as he did he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord Jesus, help me. And Jesus reached down his hand and he pulled him up and helped him safely into the boat. He took his eyes off of Jesus and put them on his circumstances. Uh, It's so easy to do. I I think probably all of us have done that at one time or another in our lives. And uh, when we put our eyes on our circumstances... Regardless of where we are, we tend to have our faith get weak. Um, we tend to struggle. And, and so, uh, in this scripture here today, Elijah is in this very position. Um, and, and just like Elijah, we all need God in those times when we're struggling. Um, and so, Elijah has just had this mountaintop experience, literally. He's on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Fire falls from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And Elijah wins this great battle uh, with the prophets of Baal. And it looks like everything's going well. The prophets of Baal have been killed. Uh, It looks like the people have said, the Lord, he is God, that they're going to worship God. Elijah figures, I've won this great victory. God has won this great victory through me. And then he gets the message from Jezebel. Ahab has gone home and he has reported to his wife what took place on Mount Carmel. And she says, may it be by this time tomorrow night, she says, as God lives, I will put you to death. And in one message, in one moment of time, Elijah goes from confidence and faith to utter fear. He flees for his life, goes, if you know uh, kind of the geography of Israel, he's going south. He goes all the way to the southernmost city, Beersheba of Israel, and leaves his servant there, and goes on into the wilderness, and... Finally, crawls under a broom tree, which is kind of like a bush that provides shade. It's kind of like a, a miniature weeping willow. It's the soft branches and so forth. Anyway, he crawls up under that, and uh, he says, "Lord," he said, "I'm no better than my fathers. Take my life." He's in this place of utter discouragement. Maybe you have been in a place of discouragement like that. Um, Those are difficult times and um, I see in this story more than just what's on the surface because on the surface it's the words of a queen named Jezebel. But I believe that there is an adversary of our souls who will come to us sometimes through the words of other people to bring discouragement to us and to achieve his purpose. Jezebel is not the only one who didn't want the worship of the one true God in Israel. Satan didn't want it. And he did whatever he could to disrupt, and he does the same thing today. Whenever God starts to do a work, watch out. The enemy will come in and try to disrupt what God is doing. And so Elijah was in a great struggle. When we go through these types of struggles in our lives, what we need to do is we need to trust God with a Holy Spirit-empowered faith. And I say Holy Spirit empowered because when you're in this kind of discouragement and you're in this kind of struggle, you're not going to bring yourself up. God's got to lift you up. Um, so uh, the title of my message is The Satanic Strategy of Discouragement. The Satanic Strategy of Discouragement. In First Kings 19, verses 1-4. through 4. Let's read the scripture. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, May the gods punish me, and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. The satanic strategy of discouragement. What can you expect? What will Satan promote in your life to try to bring you to a place of discouragement? Well, first of all, there's an evil message. There's an evil message. The Bible says Satan is a deceiver. He is the father of lies. Have you ever thought, why didn't Jezebel just send some people to kill Elijah at the beginning? Why send a message saying, I'm going to kill you by tonight? I think she was pretty shrewd. She knew that if she killed him, he was greatly popular. The people had seen him win this battle on Mount Carmel. Uh, she didn't want to risk making him a martyr, but she thought if I can just intimidate him, he'll leave the country and my problem will be solved. And so she comes up with this strategy of sending this message. But the message, and I think a lot of times this happens, sometimes the message of greatest discouragement will come through even well meaning people. Um, people who have their own reasons for saying what they say, but the, the devil is actually behind what they're saying to bring discouragement. Uh, Jesus constantly had people coming against him and questioning his motives and questioning what he was doing. Um, he was under constant opposition. And I imagine it would have been very easy to get discouraged. But Jesus would get aside and he would refresh himself in the Lord. Um, many times, the Bible says he, he left and he went up on a mountain to pray, or he left. He, one time he was healing. All these people gathered around for healing. And it got dark, and finally they had to go home. The next morning, they were all waiting for Jesus. There's all this cra- great crowd of people waiting to be healed. And Jesus had left to go pray in the wee hours of the morning. Why? Because he knew he needed to replenish, as he lived this life of walking by faith, Uh, in our place he he had to to replenish his human soul and so uh we need to do the same thing we need to replenish our soul when we get that evil message we need to counteract it with the word of god three times when satan tempted jesus he, he approached him with a lie sometimes it was a scripture that was twisted so that Satan was using it out of context and using it for his own purpose. Every single time Satan came with his lie, Jesus responded with the truth of God's word. An evil message. Sometimes uh, we can come up with our own evil messages, can't we? Uh, somebody talked about self-talk in the business world. You know, well, you've got to self-talk and you got to, you know... Uh, some movie I was watching one time, this guy was looking in the mirror and he was going, "I am a winner, I am a winner," uh, and so he's having this self-talk. Well, sometimes self-talk is negative, and and, and you may uh, you may not be standing in front of a mirror like that, but we tend to talk to ourselves sometimes in our in our minds, and we we can say these negative things that aren't true. God doesn't love me. I'll never be uh, anything but a failure. Uh, whatever the case may be. And these things are lies. Sometimes these lies come from within us. Other times they come from other people. Um, Maybe your parents said, you'll never amount to anything. And you hear these messages. Maybe there's a friend who says, oh, you're going to try that? Well, good luck. And so you got these messages coming. But then you can counteract that with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For God so loved the world. I'm in the world. Yeah, that means God loves me. And <laughs> uh, You counteract the lie with the truth of God's word. Um, the psalmist one time says, I will not die, but live. And see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I think he was, he was counteracting a lie. Satan's whispering in his ear. So, an evil message is often Satan's strategy of discouragement. Sometimes the evil message will be very subtle. Sometimes it will be uh, the opinion of an expert. Sometimes it will be the words of somebody that's respected. But the evil message comes all the same. What do we need to trust in more than anything else? We need to trust in God's word. Um, one of the scriptures in the New Testament says, uh, All scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and profitable for doctrine, reprieve, correction, instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's writing to a pastor. But can I tell you, if a pastor is equipped for every good work, so are you. <laughs> Through the word of God, amen. For your, your Christian life. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've struggled in my walk with God and I've asked God, Lord, will you speak to me as I come into my quiet time? And I've opened up the Word of God, maybe felt led to go to a certain place in the Word of God. And I begin to read and it's like God is talking straight to me. Um, And the truth of God's Word counteracts the lie in my life. What a wonderful thing. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Elijah believed the evil message and began down the path of discouragement. By the way, before I I move on, let me just say this. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good a Christian you are. There will be times in your life where you get your eyes off Jesus. Aren't you glad that God's word is honest about struggle? Um, Elijah has this great victory. And yet now he's got a great failure in his life. Because he's taken his eyes off Jesus. Uh, Beware of your strength. What was Elijah's strength? He had great courage for God. 450 prophets of Baal. 400 prophets of Asherah. Against one prophet of Yahweh. That's not very good odds. But Elijah stood up to them all. with Great courage. Now the message sent by the queen of Israel causes him to flee for his life. Uh, Beware of your strength. Don't say, I would never do and fill in the blank. Because the devil can come at that point of strength. What was David's strength? His integrity. Guess what? He blew it. Solomon's strength was his wisdom. Guess what? He didn't listen to God's word. And he married foreign wives that led his heart astray. And he ends his life living a very unwise life. Your strength can be the devil's doorway into your life. If you have pride in your strength. Don't trust in your strength. Trust in God. So, he received an evil message. That's one strategy Satan promotes. Secondly, he wants you to have an emotional response. An emotional response. Elijah became afraid. Some of your translations may say, Elijah saw. Uh, The Hebrew uh, letters are exactly the same. Uh, It could be translated either way. But he saw the message... And the message inspired fear in his heart. And he doesn't stop to pray. He doesn't stop to consider God's will. He just immediately makes an emotional response and bails. Everywhere else in Elijah's story, you see God directing him. God, God says, go to the brook, Kereth, and I'll supply food for you there. Uh, go to the widow at Zarephath, and I'm going to take care of you there. Uh, go to Ahab and tell him, I'm going to send rain. Uh, call together the people to Mount Carmel for the contest and all of these things but here you find no such thing Elijah says I'm going to go off on my own and he doesn't consult God it's just an emotional impulsive decision in his life I've made some of those decisions in my life I bet you have too um, I remember one time I was in a in a meeting this time I di- I, I didn't make the Wrong decision, but I wish I'd asked God to fill me with the Holy Spirit because I sure needed it at that moment. But I was in a meeting, and the longer the meeting went, the angrier I got, and I began to pray, God, help me not to blow it and lose my temper and ruin my influence in my church. And, and God did graciously got me to the end of it, but instead I should have been praying, fill me with your Spirit, Lord, and love these people through me. But uh, I didn't do that. But then there have been other times where I have just blown it. I have just lost it or I've, I've just made an emotional, impulsive decision. And it was the wrong one. Satan, when he uh, comes to us to try to discourage us, he wants us to react quickly uh, to the circumstances. Um, you remember what the Israelites did at the Red Sea? Oh, no, we're going to die the Egyptians have come, and, you know, they're panicking. And Moses says, hey, chill. Stand still and see the work of God. And, and so uh, it, it's a good thing Moses didn't panic, amen? <laughs> uh, he didn't have an emotional response, but the people had an emotional response. At one point, they don't have water in the wilderness, and they're about ready to stone Moses. That would definitely have been an impulsive, emotional decision. Moses, you brought us out in this wilderness. You're going to pay. But God God, uh, answers Moses' prayer and uh, brings them to some water, and uh, Moses is spared. So, um, Satan wants you to make an emotional response, because if you can make an emotional response and make a wrong decision in the heat of the moment, he can take you down a path further into discouragement. What happens? We look at the, the situation, we look at the circumstances, and we become afraid. Remember Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane? They come to arrest Jesus. One of the Gospels tells us that he pulls his sword and he just lops off the ear of one of the high priest's servants, Malchus. <laughs> Jesus reaches down and picks up his ear. That, that had to be really bizarre. Picks up his ear and puts it back on his head and heals him and says, put away your sword. <laughs> Peter made an impulsive decision. Yeah. A lot of times we make an impulsive decision. Um, I had a, another pastor share with me one time. This, this man had been a thorn in his side uh, over an extended period of time. And just, uh, you know, was just one of those people that you love to hate. You know, he'd come and tell him what a lousy pastor he was. <laughs> you know, just basically give him a hard time. And one day he just had enough. And he, he just he, he lit into this man and he told him what he thought. He said, boy, it sure felt good <laughs> to tell him what I thought. <laughs> and he said, but you know, he said, my influence in that church was never the same. Sometimes that emotional, impulsive decision is used by the enemy to thwart what God wants to do in your life, to cause you to lose your influence with other people. And to cause you to go into greater discouragement. Now, he not only had that man upset at him, but he had the other people who heard him tell him off that were upset. Isn't it amazing how that works? The devil's, the devil's actually pretty smart in what he tries to get us to do. So, what's the alternative? When trouble comes in, go to God with it immediately. Go to God. Um, Moses, I mentioned them getting ready to stone Moses. Moses would fall on his face before God. Every time he had a problem, fall on his face with the exception of the, the rock where he hit the rock instead of spoke to it. Uh, consistently in Moses' life, he took his problems to God, and every single time, God took care of him. God's faithful in him. Take your problems to God um, and trust him with it. It's hard sometimes. You know, sometimes I will actually pray... Lord, help me trust you. I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. You ever been there? Uh, Because you're struggling with it. But this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, take up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We also build our faith through God's word. Being regularly in God's word is a great way to build your faith. Uh, and it will help you when you have these crises come upon your life. Uh, not to make these snap emotional decisions, but to uh, take your problems to God and to trust him. So, the satanic strategy. What will Satan promote? First of all, an evil message. Secondly, an emotional response. Thirdly, an eventual isolation. An eventual isolation. Isolation. In the second part of verse 3, it says, When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. So he's got a traveling companion with him who's helping him out, but he leaves him there. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Maybe he was concerned for his safety. Uh, Maybe he just didn't want to talk to anybody. You ever been discouraged and you just don't want to interact with people? I don't want to have to... Act like I'm in a good mood when I'm not, you know. I don't know. But whatever the case was, he left his servant and he goes out into the wilderness by himself. That is absolutely the worst thing to do when you're discouraged, is to isolate yourself from other people. There's a reason God gave us a community of believers. There's something about Christian fellowship when people are filled with the Spirit of God where they can help bring you perspective in the circumstances that you're going through. Um, Elijah desperately needed some perspective. He had been the strong one. He had been the one that had led, of all the other prophets of God, Jezebel had killed most of them. Uh, The others were hiding out in caves. He was the only one who had the courage to stand up in front of everybody And do God's work. But I I don't care who you are. And how great a Christian you are. And how strong you are in God. There will be times where you need other people. And Elijah was in this place. Instead of going to others who could have encouraged him. And prayed for him. And lifted him up. He isolated himself. That's one reason I think small groups are so important in the church. Because in those small group settings you can. Open up and share about what you're going through and have others support you in it. So, um, an eventual isolation. Satan wants to isolate you from your spouse, from your family, from your church, uh, from your friends. Don't give him the satisfaction. I remember when I was a, a pastor, my first pastorate, I was in school and we had young kids and I was just really busy. And I didn't go to many of the things, but... I began to have God kind of work on me about going to some of these pastor fellowships that they had. And what I found is that God used those things to lift me up and build me up. And these other pastors would minister to my need. And sometimes I'd minister to theirs. And God used it to strengthen me in my walk uh, and help me to be a better pastor. Uh, we need other people. So, Satan's strategy. What is his strategy? An evil message, an emotional response, an eventual isolation, an enfeebled prayer. Now, Satan doesn't want us to pray at all. But if he can't stop us from praying, he wants us to pray with a faithless, discouraged, uh, whiny, pity party type of prayer. Um, Now, let let me just hasten to say, if you're having a pity party, God does want you to come to him. That, that doesn't discourage God. God loves you. He said, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Uh, however, what I've noticed in my own prayer life is in those times where I'm having a pity party, I tend to go in circles, and not much gets done spiritually in my life. It's not until I begin to confess my attitude to God and say, Lord, I know this is not how I'm supposed to feel. Lord, I know I'm supposed to have a good attitude about it, but God, I don't. I'm not trusting you, God. I know I should be trusting you, but I'm not trusting you. God, would you please change my heart and please give me a heart of faith? That's when I begin to start sensing a shift. Another great way to change your prayers when your faith is is struggling, when you're kind of feeble in your faith, is to thank God. Thanksgiving is just like a almost like a switch. I've noticed when I when I will begin to choose to thank God, even though I may still be struggling at first, God begins to change my heart through the thanksgiving process and before long his peace comes. And the pity party's over. Now I'm worshiping God and I'm thanking God for what he's doing in my life. So uh recognize that this is one of Satan's strategies because Jesus says you have not because you ask not, but he also says according to your faith, so will it be to you. And so if we come to our prayers with no faith, our prayers are not going to be very effective. So just recognize that that's a satanic strategy to try to destroy your faith so that you will be powerless in prayer and recognize that as you go to God in prayer, you can shift that, Uh, by confession, repentance, asking God to change your heart, and thanksgiving and praise for God. So, an enfeebled prayer. So, Satan's strategy, what does he try to promote? An evil message, an emotional response, an eventual isolation, an enfeebled prayer. And finally, an erroneous comparison. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Satan wants us to compare ourselves to each other, <clears throat> because he can use that as a discouragement. And the way it works is, is this: either he'll use comparison to promote pride. That's not the case here. Sometimes he'll, oh, oh, hey, I'm doing pretty good. That guy over there, buddy, he's he's really struggling, but I've got it. I've got it wired. If he could get you to do that, then he knows that uh, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So. he He knows that God will resist you in your walk with him. Uh, So, confess that. Quote that scripture. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But the other strategy is to use comparison to discourage you. And and Satan will use comparison in your life. He'll say, you know, too bad you don't have gifts like so-and-so over here. Too bad you can't pray like so-and-so over here. Too bad you can't lead like so-and-so over here. Too bad you can't administrate like so-and-so over here. Uh, And whatever he can pick out, whatever weakness you may have, trust me, he knows what it is, he knows you know what it is, and he will try to discourage you by having you compare yourself with somebody else. However, God has said that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He designed us. He fashioned us. Psalm 139. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, Lord, when you knit me together in the depths of my mother's womb. Uh, So God has fashioned us for his purpose. David says in Psalm 139, all my days were written in your book before one of them came to be. You have a purpose for my life, Lord, and and you know the number of days that I'm going to live, and you know what you want to accomplish in each one of those days. And he says, Lord, I I recognize that, and I'm just worshiping you for that fact. Um, And I trust you, Lord, in in living out my life for you. Um, Satan will whisper in your ear, what you're doing is not important. Your service to God is not valuable. You need to be like so-and-so over here who's got this gift. Isn't it interesting, God has gifted us all differently on purpose. He's given us all strengths, spiritually speaking, and weaknesses, spiritually speaking, as far as service is concerned, um, for a reason. Why? He wants us to depend upon each other. First of all, to depend upon Him, but also to to depend on the body of Christ that... uh, God will use the body of Christ to minister to us and that we minister with our gifts for other people and God uses us to mutually build each other up in our walk with God. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this. God also designed you with your weaknesses. You say, "Well, how could God use a weakness?" Ask the apostle Paul. Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh. I don't three times asked you to remove it and you said no. God says my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. You see God doesn't think like we think. God knows that if there's a weakness in our life his power can rest upon us. And if we're not depending on ourselves we're more apt to depend upon him. And so don't let the devil lead you into this comparison trap because, first of all, God's purpose for your life is different than God's purpose for that other person. That's why they have different gifts. And God, every single child of God has an important role in the body of Christ. Do not compare yourself with others. Recognize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That actually might be a great verse to memorize if you struggle with that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, devil. (laughs) Deal with that. God designed me for his purpose. If God is for me, who can be against me? Satan wants you to struggle with comparison. So the satanic strategy of discouragement, it goes all through Elijah's situation. I'm no better than my father's. An evil message, an emotional response, an eventual isolation, enfeebled prayer, and an erroneous comparison. That's Satan's strategy. But here's the thing. Satan's a defeated foe. Sometimes he may be successful in getting us to walk down this path of discouragement. But I love what David says in the Psalms. He says, uh, I was in the miry pit. You lifted me up. From the miry pit and set my feet upon a rock. So, wherever you are, if you are uh, in a place of great discouragement, know that you can bring your discouragement, you can bring your issues, you can bring your anger, you can bring your depression, you can, whatever it is, you can bring it to the feet of Jesus. It never shocks him, he never says, why did you bring that to me? But he is there to help lift you up, just like he lifted up Peter out of the water, he'll lift you up. And he'll teach in a wonderful thing when you when you read the gospels, you see Jesus teaching the disciples, and they didn't get it, 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 and they didn't get it. Didn't get it. One point he goes, "How long have I been with you guys?" You know, uh, come on <laughs> and yet he never gives up. He always meets them at their point of need and even in failure he comes back to Peter You remember Peter uh, denies Jesus three times he said nobody everybody else may deny you but I won't Jesus says oh yeah you will three times and Peter has failed he's discouraged and Jesus is trying to encourage him and he's well what about him what about John don't worry about that what's that to you you follow me, Peter. But even in their failure, he says, Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. And to Peter, three times, he denied him. Three times, Jesus says, Feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. He's restoring him, he's lifting him up. He said, Peter, I'm not done with you. I know you fail, I know you're discouraged, I know you're embarrassed. But listen, I want to tell you something. I'm not done with you. I'm lifting you up. and I've got a purpose for you and a mission for you. And when at Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came down, who was it that preached the first sermon? It was Peter. <laughs> 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. What a revival that must have been. Listen, the devil may be eating your lunch tonight, but can I tell you something? God's greater than he is. And God can lift you up. Jesus has conquered the enemy and defeated him. Come to Christ with your brokenness. Come to him with your failure. Come to him with your discouragement. And he'll lift you up. Satan may have a strategy of discouragement. But there is no strategy and no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, in those times where we're discouraged, Lord, I I pray that we'll lift up our eyes to you. God, give us the grace to trust you. Lord, there may be people uh, struggling with discouragement here tonight. I just pray, God, that you will supply exactly what they need uh, to lift them up, to restore them and refresh them and renew them in your presence. And Father, if there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I pray that tonight before they leave this place, that they'd surrender their heart uh, to you and put their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Um, Thank you for your grace.